So in gathering these friends of the, the Blueprint program uh, to commemorate this extraordinary moment in history, uh, we thought Queen, we thought gardens, we thought Royal Botanic Gardens in Victoria. We thought Dr. Tim Inwistle. Hello, Tim. Hi, Jonathan. The Royal, you, you are by decree. We, yeah, we've been a Royal Garden since 1958. So we got the, the letter came in 1957 and we, we were able to use the term in 1958. And that's on the back of her visit, of course. So when she visited uh, Melbourne in 1954, she not only planted a, a tree in the gardens, but it seems the idea that we should perhaps have a Royal Botanic Gardens in our city. What was, what was the tree? Uh, it was a brush box, so it's a lot of steam and confertus, if people know that, so a, a, a native tree. And it's 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 sort of struggling along. It's not one of our most spectacular trees, mm-hmm. but the brush box can be a can get to be a decent tree, but it's it's sort of ticking away in the background. Maybe it's a slow a slow burn. It'll take a, a little while to grow. That is it's a, it is a wonderful commemoration of a moment, is it not, to plant a tree? I mean, you've got many in your gardens that that serve that purpose that are there popped in by a person. It is. It's a, It's an amazing thing. We even have a, a spade or a collection of, uh, we have a silver spade that was <laughs> that was used to plant that tree. And I was looking back, as you do when you, when these things happen through our records, we've got plantings by George V, George the Sixth, uh, her father, and, and Edward the Eighth. Um, often when they were dukes and princes, it seems. So they, they'd come come via Melbourne when they weren't quite um, in their official positions and then plant a tree and then go back and become king or whatever. Now, of course, the, the, the royal family, the, the the British royal family, is a, is a family surrounded by houses and gardens. They, the, the, the gardens of the palaces... Remarkable things, although perhaps not the most ornate gardens in the world. No, there's some nice parks, though. I mean, the park near to Windsor uh, Castle in uh, out of London is is you know, I've been to the the castle and it's kind of it's in its garden there. But there's a beautiful park which I I believe the Queen would spend some time in that has these lovely lovely long vistas. Again, mm. it's not not lots of detailed planting, but it's it's a very beautiful parkland, and I think that's a, it's true of the other gardens. They're not they're not known around the palaces for having fantastic gardens, but interestingly, uh, Highgrove, which is a garden that, um, well, I'm trying to think of the right, I have to get the right term now, isn't it? King, King, King Charles III. King Charles III um, has looked after and tended and, and has a huge passion for, is a very beautiful garden. I wonder if that, I mean, that interest of Charles, uh, whether that will usher in, um, you know, a, a renewed invigoration of various royal properties. He, yeah, he does seem to have a very strong interest, not only in gardens, but also the environment. And certainly through the Botanic Gardens networks I'm involved in, he, he'll he send words of, of sort of praise and opening and support a lot of our programs into plant conservation. So I, I, I do sense perhaps a, a, a stronger emphasis on, on gardens, but also nature and the environment. I, that, that's what I would hope, actually, that that, that mm. might be something to look forward to in this um the next rain. It always these these terms are hard to hard to use. Well, Jonathan. they're so <laughs> seldom employed, Tim. I think that's like, we, we have no familiarity with this moment. I, I mean, I think that's an interesting thing about Charles's mother, Elizabeth, and I'm thinking here of Balmoral. And uh, uh, apart from the, you know, the, the, 
I'm trying to not use the word kitsch around the, the actual structure, but the, surrounding it is is this sense of Scottish wildness, which, which is, I think, country that she had great affection for. Yeah, I get the, I get the impression that's that's where her heart lay, sort of more with the that that environment around the the formal gardens. Although you know she has, I've certainly seen her talking around trees and about trees, and she's has started a lot of programs. There's one at the moment where they're planting trees around the world, which she she led, and so there's a strong interest in hers in in that nature. And but as you say, it's more perhaps a, a kind of a, a UK or an English version of nature, or Scottish version of nature, where it's it's a bit different to perhaps what we think of in Australia. It's it's more manicured, but perhaps closer to a botanic garden, which makes it appropriate where the Royal Botanic Gardens. What's interesting, even though that sort of wilder country in somewhere like Scotland, it was once wooded, um, but that, that, that clearing of country is so old in that place that that becomes, you know, the the accepted, that, that is just the natural order, even if it is one which has replaced another. Yeah, and it's a very it's a very different sense in um, in Europe generally. Generally, I guess, but particularly the UK around what what is is planted, what is garden, what is nature, what is a, a a plant a plant species or an animal that was there or has come in later. And it's not it's interesting because it's not such a big deal. And in a lot of ways, of course, we humans are part of that nature as we are in Australia and as we have for tens of thousands of years here. But it's it's more obvious there, and the changes are more obvious, as you say, all those trees removed. But there is a sense now, uh, there's a, there's such a strong sense, not only putting trees back, but that that love of those natural areas, such as they are, those hedgerows, mm. those wildflowers. The passion I found when I lived there for a couple of years was just just amazing. That 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 love people have for whatever that is, whatever that nature is, and wherever it is. It is still nature. I, I, now you mentioned yes, being there for a couple of years. You of course working at Kew Gardens. Where you're invited to a Buckingham Palace garden party, Tim. In that time, no. Oh. Look, I, I, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I, I I ended up. I think the closest I got was a, a cousin of the the Queen's. Uh, at the at Kew Gardens, and uh, unfortunately, didn't get any official <laughs> official invitations. Interestingly, my closest encounter was with um, with Prince William in Sydney when he visited a few years back, and I was running Sydney's Botanic Gardens and spent some time with him. Uh, that's as close as I got. But over in Kew, no, 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 unfortunately not. Because so I was thinking of the of the gardens in Buckingham Palace, which you know, of course, for a, a place in <laughs> central London, is reasonably expansive, and yet. And and this this goes to this this, I guess this theme um, in in royal life. They're they're designed around functionality. They're designed yeah to entertain. They are. They they the Kew Gardens. I think would probably today say it's partly about entertaining and and about you know making a, a beautiful place to visit. But behind that, you know, like like our gardens in in Melbourne, Cranbourne and Melbourne, there is all this. Uh, wonderful plant conservation work going and deep science and understanding all that kind of thing. And I think, you know, if you look at Kew Gardens, it has that very strong connection with the royal family. And we we lived inside the gardens right next to the place where um, George III lived. So this is called Kew Palace. And so it used to be the, the garden around that palace. It uh, you know, it started as a royal garden, became a botanic garden, and then expanded out. Mm. Did all those things we do today. So yes, it's got, it's got that that royal connection and that that very kind of English style to it. But I I think there's a there's a, a number of layers there now. 
Do we know in the top of your head here, in a question without notice, but Buckingham Palace itself, would, who who was responsible for, for laying out those grounds? And I mean, which, which king or queen took that interest, do you know? Um, no, this is where I, I say Google it, don't I, Jonathan? Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> Google it, Jonathan. <laughs> because they are, I mean, there's a certain loveliness about them. Yeah, there is, there is. And I, I don't know, I don't know their, their, their history, unfortunately, off the top of my head, but the, that they, they are lovely. And, I, and I'm, I had this discussion with someone the other day about formal gardens and so the question was sort of why do people do it, and and I and I said look you know we we have our houses of different styles and different looks and we all have our different sort of preferences and a formal garden is not trying to be wild nature it's not, it's trying to be something else mm. and I think if we we should see it as a cultural creation and uh, one that we may or may not like it's really it depends on how well it's done and what it is it's an artifact isn't it I mean yeah it's a thing yeah. of our creation. Which takes us back to Highgrove and 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 looking to the future because that has been that's been such a big part of of Charles's life and and you sense that in look yes of course a person of immense privilege and all of that but someone whose whose life has been you know problematic at many times but that that project at Highgrove that and that sense of losing your troubles in the natural world I think that's strong in him. Yes, and he I know he's always liked to invite people there to take them on tours himself to show them what he does and to actually garden himself. And I think that's important as well. It's not, you know, it's a bit kind of cliche to say he gets out there and he gardens as well, but I I do believe that's part of what um or where he finds some solace and some um, connection with with nature and and he definitely loves that place and has planted Meadows and there's a there's one I've where he was planting um, particularly bulbs and plants from I think it was kind of a northern or or eastern Europe but it was had a conservation uh, theme behind it and then there are other pla- other parts of that garden which are, are more cultural so he's he's trying you know has sculptural elements and things that I suppose reflect his the way he sees the world around him it's very personal and that's. I t- one of the fascinating things about Highgrove is is there are bits of it that sort of you think, oh, that's what, why has it been done that way? But it's a, like every garden, it reflects him. It reflects, reflects the person that made it. Yeah. And that well, that's such an interesting thing about him. The Queen is someone that we have come to know very much through the you know the the, the public persona, uh, and and we know not a lot about her interests. But here is Charles, uh, a, a more transparent figure. And and there is real clarity around this interest in sustainability and in garden and in place and, and the growing world. This is a real thing in which he has knowledge and that we have knowledge of. And he, and he has opinions and, and you know, we, we all probably remember back in very early years, he's had, he's had strong opinions on architecture, but in the plant world, quite famously, he used to say that he, he, he talked to his plants and he had this very close relationship and that was, you know, it was sort of mocked in a way, but he has shown, I think, over the years, he's taken that through to, you know, a deep, a deep love of the environment and plants and been, as you say, sort of a not outspoken, but very clear on what he thinks. And that's that's a mm. very different approach. And I think it's very interesting. As you say, we've got a, a sense, because it's so long, in a way, we've got a very strong sense of what he's like, more so than the Queen where she developed in the role. Yes, where he has grown up in that, that sort of semi 
and, and occasionally extremely exposed uh, public gaze. Do you ever talk to plants, Tim? I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, um, that's a good question. I, I have. Well, my blog's called Talking Plants. So there you go. I'm playing. Uh, I'm trying to play both sides of the field. I think. I think what I, what I would like you to do, and I, I give you this, this charge on behalf of Blueprint listeners, is to to go out into your gardens, yes. uh, to to find the 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 tree planted by Her Majesty, and just have a word. I, I will do that. And I should say, Jonathan, I'm speaking at the moment from Colac Botanic Gardens, uh, one of our beautiful regional gardens, which I can't think of a royal connection here, but it is just a lovely place to speak from. So I'll have a wander through here and think about your uh, your task for me. <laughs> Tim, thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, friend of the Blueprint Program, Tim Entwistle, Director of Melbourne's Royal Botanic Gardens. Blueprint, ABCRN. <laughs> Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.